2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Well, there,
3: got the of it, and he looks to get the better of
4: and he's
2: it. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, and I am Mean Lean from Arsenal Vision UK, doing these intros and compiling the podcast together, and all this sort of stuff. It's far more enjoyable when we've won than when we've lost, as was the case in midweek. It's even more enjoyable when we've beaten Man United 3-0 at the Emirates in what has to be our best performance of the season so far. Great performance from our attacking players. Uh, we pressed all over the pitch. Our midfield was magnificent on the day. Santi, what a player. And in the second half, we defended as a team really well. The whole team was spot on. And we ripped United to shreds, absolutely to pieces great team display. I'd like to see more of that in these big games and hopefully we will do so. Yeah, James, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the game in greater detail. Before I hand you over to the podcast team, just want to say a few words. Apologies for the last podcast. There was an advert smack bang in the middle of the conversation. Uh, that was an error on my part. The podcast hosts have placed an advert in the middle of the podcast and are supposed to remove it. And I didn't get around to doing so, and I forgot to do so. So, uh, it was unintentional. Uh, I was in a rush, and I left it in there by accident. And, uh, yeah, it's it's not really what you want in the middle of a conversation. So, I apologise. It won't happen again. That placement uh, has actually been removed as a default now. So, even if I do forget, it doesn't matter. It won't be there anymore. Also, the podcast will now be, or shortly, be available on Stitcher, which is good for Android users. I'm an Android user myself, so you can... Download it from there. And also, one more thing. Arsenal Vision hasn't been mobile-friendly for a long while now. And uh, it's taken me far too long to get around to doing so. And hopefully that that should be solved in the next few weeks and um, uploaded. So when you access the site via a mobile phone, it should be a lot better than it is is at the moment. So yeah, I think I've covered it all. And um, yes, enjoy this podcast. It's a good one. And we'll be back again after the international break for what Watford Away. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Jose melts down, Brendan gets shut down, and United get beat down. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. But why do that on a week like this? We've got two weeks to celebrate Jose Mourinho imploding, Brendan Rodgers getting fired or sacked, depending on your vernacular. But most importantly... Arsenal Football Club dominating Manchester United 3-0 in a thoroughly convincing performance that everyone saw coming. We're going to be discussing this with the usual cast of characters. James is back. He only comes on for wins. He pods when we win. He pods when we win. James, he pods when we win. Um, and Paul's here. James, you can find him on Twitter at GunnerFanatic49. Welcome back, James. Hello. Hooray. And you can find Paul at Pawsin' in my pants. Welcome back, Paul. Yahoo, your boy, yeah. That's new. Let's not, let's not. Can we just get the woohoo? Woohoo! Okay, good. Here we go. So, midweek was pretty dire. Uh, And you could be forgiven if you weren't feeling very optimistic. I actually did think we had a good solid shot in this game because I didn't trust Manchester United. And sure enough, we went out there and we absolutely thumped them. Um, No need to really discuss the lineup because I think everything about it was exactly what we expected. So, let's dive right into the game. James for, let, let's do something a little weird. Let's discuss the United lineup. When you saw that they were playing Ashley Young at left back, and and they had an attacking fullback in Darmian on the right, and Blind at center back, and they had gone with two fairly possession oriented but pretty static, non-pacy, non-physical midfielders in uh, Schweinsteiger and Carrick. Did that make you feel like maybe just maybe there was a chance something like this could happen?
4: Um, I was definitely excited by the prospect of Ashley Young at fullback and I was surprised that Schneidlin didn't start in the middle alongside one of Carrick and Schweinsteiger um, to give them that engine and that um, added energy that they probably needed in the midfield. That being said, the likes of Damian, Blind, um, that team as a whole has been pretty defensively solid. That's the part of the game that although albeit well, on paper, they don't necessarily seem individually to be that strong. They've um had a pretty good start in um in the league. So when especially with David De Gea, you, you you can have one of those tricky nights. Um and it being united, I mean, who was it we saw? We we certainly saw one over both of Blackett and McNair the last time they came to the Emirates and that didn't seem to make too much difference. So um yeah, I mean I was excited by the prospect, but I was excited mostly because of um, you know we were playing a f- full starting eleven outside of potentially Koscielny and um, and that was exciting to see. So I think that was where a lot of my enthusiasm came from. But I'm always fearful of United, especially given the uh, the, the, the league hoodoo that we've seemed to have had when facing them in in recent years. And um, we certainly seem to dispel that on uh, this occasion.
1: Well, we certainly are guilty of outplaying the opposition and failing to score and then losing games that way. Um, we were guilty of that big time against United in this fixture last season. Uh, we certainly solved that problem by scoring early and often in the game and, and putting it really beyond them before a half hour was off the clock. But, Paul, right from the start, we were pressing and pressing and pressing, and not just individuals, but as a team, I thought we did it in a compact, unified very strategic way, and and we, we hunted in packs. And it, it looked like United just couldn't get out, and that was where most of our opportunities came from. Do you think that the way we pressed was a specific instruction and a change of style, or do you think some of this was down to the team really being wound up to give a reaction after what happened at midweek or maybe a combination of both?
3: A combination of both. I think there was a real focus, a real intensity and energy there shared across uh you know anybody who touched the press the front six the front you you'd almost say the the front six plus any defenders that got involved i mean we saw i think uh, on the on the uh first goal it wasn't just the front five it was Cockalan who kicked that off by he was actually over on the right wing so you know they they were all in it to make something happen right from the get go but it was clear from I think Wenger's talk after the game, you know, he was he was right there on the the pressing, the pressure, the intensity. Uh and you know, by all accounts he'd give them a right he'd given them a right good bollocking, as I'm sure they all deserved and all wanted, in fact. Um I, I always think in those dressing rooms. Um, you might be getting a bollocking, but you're glad the other 10, 11, or 12, or how many got on the pitch are getting that bollocking. So you'll take your bollocking because a bollocking needs to be given. So I think they all wanted that. I think that's when you give a team a bollocking, when they all, they're all they actually all begging for it. And uh, I don't think anybody thought it was okay. okay. I th- What I did think... Was it not? It didn't. It showed up in the pressing early on, and it showed up in the intense intensity, and that kind of unanimity in terms of defence later on. Um, and so mm-hmm. it really showed up in two places because they kind of. There was a point at which, it, like in cricket, they declared for the win. They thought they had enough runs, and they're like, "All right, see if you can beat us." And they kind of flicked the switch. And then this basically said, "Hang on, we've been here before with a three-goal lead, be it in Europe and other places. This is the bit bit at which we maintain control, and we see what you've got, and we're going to hit you on the counter." Mm -hmm. And there was a very nice controlled transition to that um, as the game went on. So I think uh, you know the pressing was huge, uh, and. There was a form of it that continued throughout the game, which I'm sure we'll talk about.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to come to that in a bit. Um, I also think we learned a little bit about your sexual proclivities there, about getting a bollocking when you really want it and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. No, no, no. We, yeah. we can yeah. deal with that later.
3: So there was- Some people often call that a double entange, but <laughs> but trust me, it was a single entange.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I feel uncomfortable. Wow. It got weird. weird. Um, You know, James, one of the things that I think really separated the two sides in this match, besides the three goals and the fact that we stomped them and they were terrible and we were awesome and, yay, we love Arsenal. But aside from that, um, the way we broke from the back versus the way they did, both teams at times tried to press, and that was covered in the post-match television coverage both by the BBC on Match of the Day and uh, by Sky and, and, you know, the pundits there and Gary Neville. But there was some tremendous passing out from the back and controlled up from the back. We really made an effort not to kick long. We really, wrote, not wrote our luck, took our chances in possession in our own defensive third. But the play of players like Santi Cazorla, for example, and some of the balls that were played out from the back to break their press, get between their lines, behind Schneiderlin, uh, pardon me, Schweinsteiger and and Carrick were really immense. How much of this performance and we'll get to the goals and 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 the attacking players, but how much of this performance do you think is down to the composure and the distribution we saw from the back when they did try to press us in our own half
4: well, I think you uh you answered most of your own question um. <laughs> well that's that's great well it's been really? a pleasure talking to you guys Never. today <laughs>
1: that's kind, that's kind of my my m o
4: yeah. no no no, but um no, I think the The directness and the precision of the passing um, from back to front was what really stood out for the majority of the game and obviously the collective press. And the combination of those two just made us so effective in that first 25 minutes. Um, And it really just allowed us to to take a a grip on the game and and, and really take the game away from United within that first half an hour or so. Um, From Gabriel, Murtisaka, the full-backs, the... The passing was slick. It was very Wenger ball-like. I mean, and Santi and I think Coquelin's as well. The, the the way each of those midfielders were able to shape their body, create that little space and move the ball quickly forward. You look at nearly all of those goals and um, a large chunks of the, large majority of the team played some sort of role um, in the build-up. And, and it was very quick from back, from back to front, um, straightforward to the... To the forwards, and it was exciting to see. It was just, it was just such fantastic football. It was, I mean, it was you know an absolute sort of blitz of a, a performance. I guess you know in in sort of NFL terms, it was uh, it was exactly what you want to see. And I think that the way in which United set up the, as you'd mentioned, the type of players, especially given their um, their sort of lack of a security as to whether they they were going to press collectively as a team they had, they had you know Schweinsteiger and uh, Marshall and a couple of the forward players pressing and then the other midfielders sitting a little deep it, it opened up spaces for us for sure um and it proved to be a very very um successful strategy and uh, you could see the energy um and the desire and the motivation from the players played a big role in that too
1: yeah I I think <laughs> for me one of the things that that went wrong at times last season, for example, away to Spurs is when we were pressed, we didn't seem that we could get out from the back and, and we did it so effectively on this occasion. And, and, you know, some of that may have been down to United's personnel, but I think that it was down to performances also like Santa Cazorla. I want to get to the goals, but first Paul, your thoughts on, on the distribution from the back. And, and, you know, we talk about maybe it's time for Sacker to step out of the, of the starting 11 and let Koscielny and Gabriel become the pairing. but, Mertesacker, as we know, is our line-breaking passer in defense, and he was fantastic again. How important did you feel that that aspect of our game, playing out from the back, was to, to the overall performance?
3: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, really, in terms of where this battle was won. I mean, obviously, there were some brilliant performances, but that's not a game. Uh, there were some brilliant moments. There were some brilliant finishes. I think that where United became unstuck was they drank the Kool-Aid, the Kool-Aid about Arsenal's midfield the Gary Neville pitch that Kazorla simply isn't up to it, that against a big team he'll be blown away. I think they had a belief that you put Schweinsteiger on him on one side and Rooney coming at him from the 10 spot and he was going to buckle. And he absolutely fucking ran, ran rings around them. And that's where I think they came across. Ironically, I listened to the, the Neville pod after the mm-hmm. game and he was going on about Kazorla uh, being the key midfielder, but no kind of self-awareness about what had been said before, just like as if it was a de facto, you know, he was, he was the man, he was the midfielder of that game, but no, well, that just goes to show me what the fuck, you know, we all get it wrong, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't doesn't have to beg and, and cover himself in ashes and ash cloth and stuff, but and ad, an admission that he not only led himself wrong, but United wrong. I think they really thought that this uh, weakened Arsenal midfield of Cazorla and Cockland. you just needed to get at them a little bit, and they'd run rings around us. And Santi was huge. He was big going forward. He was much bigger in the transitions, as you've talked about. And I think he was huge defensively, if you watch him. And I, I actually went back and watched it a third time um, it was that enjoyable. But the third time I watched Santi defensively, and he was intense and obsessive about where he was and what he was doing, almost like he, was, he had learned every fucking lesson he could from our Tuesday, uh, uh, what do they call that, foo bar, fuck up, <laughs> beyond <laughs> all recognition. And he was determined to have learned that lesson. And I think it was a coming of age for Santi. He's been brilliant in that spot before, but defensively I've never seen him as switched on. He was kind of like a free-floating defender at times where he'd go out to the left wing and out to the right wing defensively where he didn't see the cover there. And uh, I just think Santi ended up being immense in that game.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think Santi's been uneven this season, and I've kind of been of the opinion that maybe his ability to continue to perform in that central midfield role was diminishing. But on the day, he was as good as anyone on the pitch and as important to the overall performance as anyone on the pitch. Um, So let's get to the goals. James, um, they were ecstasy, all of them. And for a team that over the last two seasons, to be fair, has played brilliantly with the lead, getting a lead in a game is so important for us. We know when we fall behind what our record has been um, apart from Leicester, actually, we hadn't done it for over a year. So getting ahead is important, especially in a fixture like this where we have recent history of outplaying them but losing. Um, so when the first goal came, it was pure bliss. But it was it was brilliant the way it happened because it was Coughlin making an incredible, energetic tackle on the edge of the box. It was. Ozil being played through, it was a perfect cutback. It was Sanchez with a tremendous run, great awareness, and and a perfect flick finish. Is that first goal everything that this Arsenal team can be and should be to you? Is that sort of a microcosm of our best-case scenario, so to speak?
4: I think it's certainly uh, exemplary of of what Arsene attempts to evoke in, in his sides, and I think the execution was absolutely perfect. What was interesting about that goal was just the the number of players that were were involved in it. I think you as you mentioned rightly rightfully so the the Cocheland interception um was once again sort of it, it epitomized the the harrying the intensity of the team um and before that you had the Beller in the sprint i mean his ability to to retrieve that pass from. I think it was Ozil um, when he was about a yard a yard behind, the touchback and, you know, the cross that was sort of half clear that allowed the Cochrane challenge and it came to Ramsey. I thought the Ramsey ball through to Ozil was excellent. Um, and, I mean, the the composure of the finish from Sanchez was just such so fantastic to see. And actually, you know, f- the class of Ozil, and, you know, he's he sprinting to the byline, and he, he he manages to get that split-second look up to spot Sanchez, and with his weaker foot to to pick him out with a pinpoint, you know, perfectly weighted pass, and uh, De Gea is going the completely wrong way, and, I mean, it's just such a phenomenal goal. You, you, you'd felt the energy the entire time within the first few minutes, and, you know, one of the major qualms I think we've had with the team, certainly for the beginning of this um, season, I think a lot of the beginning of last season as well, was... Um, you know the ability to create chances early on and being wasteful and you know that leading to, to a game that ultimately the other, the other team allows themselves to get into and and then we struggle to actually end up creating chances and you, you games end up you know sort of going away from you and to to be as effective as we were with, with our finishing today and as effective in the way that we were able to create chances, the composure going forward is certainly in those first 30 minutes and aside from the Ramsey chance was just uh, fantastic to watch. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's such a shame that Ramsey didn't score that We we'll won't get to it, but just because for a player who, who gave everything to the game but but just needs a goal, needs a goal so badly, and a player who can affect our season so much if he gets in goal-scoring form, I'm not sure he'll, he'll have a better chance in a bigger game to really lift himself um, out of at least a scoring funk. Um, so that goal obviously gets us going, but it was... A blitz and the second one came quickly after um walcott had a brilliant day and we'll talk about his day in more depth in a minute paul so so (laughs) don't don't go nuts on us don't download your entire theo walcott uh uh, phd dissertation right at the moment yeah Um, good luck with that elliot all right well we'll get to it you'll get your chance um It just, it really is immense. And so we'd seen him put through in positions like that recently, and he'd cut it back onto his right foot and tried to curl it in. This time he finds Ozil, who has been really poor in front of goal, and to be fair, did miss another chance late in the game when it was salted away. That was very, very similar, almost identical. But how impressed were you with Walcott there, the run he made, the, the decision he made, and then the Ozil finish?
3: Well, the w- run was great, and I think again it was a big part of the calculation uh, by United. They now know what Walcott and Alexis can do to them, and I think that has something to do with the the uh, the, fa- the two full backs they picked. I think they w- they wanted some pace in that back line, and that was their only way to get it. Um, so uh, I think that had some impact. I th- you know I got to say Walcott changes everything. Uh, he unchanges Lexus and he just, you know, it, it, we're seeing ozel now coming to life with the runners. Um, I, I, you, you mentioned hi, hi, um, Walcott having a similar chance recently. And um, What I'm liking is that he's, I think we saw a lot of this during the game. He relaxed quite a lot and he was comfortable enough to say, hang on, just like ozel always does. Hang on, there's a guy in a better position than me. Uh, how about I just calmly put the ball where he needs to have it? And Ozil, as usual, is best scoring when he can pass it powerfully, but pass it into the back of the net. What what also struck me against the greatest uh, keeper in the league, De Gea, is he didn't get anywhere near any one of our three goals. That's how devastating we were. And a hell of a lot of that had to do with how good the positions were when the guy finally get the ball. But also the movement, the way we were moving around their defenders and their goalkeeper. So th- by the time the goalkeeper had a, a save to make, he was basically always out of position. Um, our ability to move that ball around that pitch uh, back and forth, and you see it more than ever on the third goal, which James might be the lucky bastard to uh, <laughs> to talk through. But the movement uh, on all three of those is just, th- that's what tears them up. How quickly we move that ball around. And Walcott changes everything. He's not our best player. He's not better. Th- I may go on about him more than Alexis and more about, more about him than Ozil. But that's because I kind of take their brilliance for granted. It was, mm-hmm. he, he's the, he was the missing ingredient to just shake it all up. So, And I think the Ramsey piece of it, I think the Walcott-Alexis-Ramsey piece, although Ramsey really isn't in form, it doesn't really matter. What he does in that front three is what's important. It just really works for us as a combination with Ozil behind it pulling the strings. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is where I get frustrated with some statistical analysis because you look at XG, which is a statistic we talk about a lot on this podcast because it is a reflection of the kind of chances you create as a team, and I would bet you that the XG from the Olympiacos game, in fact I know, was not far off what the XG was from this United game, but the energy and the intensity and the pressing and the way we got on top of United early and the way we just completely choked them out of the game and and put them on the, their heels and, and in, intimidated them really into – losing their sense of resistance within the first 30 minutes is a totally different approach to the game. You use the expression James blitzing them and it really was a blitz right out of the gate. And and they never looked like they could keep up with us. They certainly didn't have the legs to keep up with us. Um you know from from Carrick to Schweinsteiger to Rooney. I mean those those were some legs that that looked like they there were a real problem and we we really just ran right by them. For the third goal Alexis cutting in from the left. You know what I thought was interesting is a lot of defenders seem to have figured out that Alexis always cuts in on his right and never takes it to the byline, never cuts to the left. The United players apparently didn't get the memo because he was able to cut in on his right every time and no one could stay with him And Darmian got hooked early because of it, I think. But um, was that individual brilliance? I, I think the build-up to that showed, again, a lot of our passing out from the back. What did you make of the of the third goal?
4: Yeah, it was a combination of the both. Um, the speed with which he moved the ball from right to left, through from I think it was Ramsey to Walcott quickly on the turn, straight out to the left to Sanchez, and as you said, and I think Henri talked about it after the game. You know, he didn't even he didn't even fake to go down to his left. He goes to the right ten times out of ten. Um, and Darnies- it's like Iron
1: Robin. You know he's going to do it, and somehow you still be- he still beats defenders doing it.
4: Yeah, I guess it's just in in the moment like when things are happening so quickly as much you know with some defenders as much as you can tell yourself before the game that he's always going to come to um down the right you're so used to having a traditional winger take it down the left and you know you might be right-footed so you're more inclined to move your body to the right and that slight because his feet are just so quick you saw Damien still manage to get a touch of the ball and another player would have lost control of that but Sanchez was able to readjust his feet so quickly um, and he was able to reposition it to you know, create an, a perfect striking opportunity, and he just hit it so beautifully. Our very own Linus um, made a, a post of the similarity between that goal and, and the one against Liverpool, and you can see why. I mean, the, they're almost a spitting image of one another. The only difference being that this time he hit the right top corner and, and the left, and in the FA Cup he hit the middle underside of the bar, so he's willing to hit each, each of the three... Uh, a sweet spot, so uh, <laughs> um, that's certainly good to see. And it was—I mean, it was just uh, pure brilliance. It was pure ecstasy where we were. Um, I think we were, we were at a sports bar in in and around Piccadilly, and I mean, we when that third goal in as we just we all lost it. I mean, it was just, it was, it was it's just—it was—it was really hard to believe.
1: It was hard to believe, right? I mean, you couldn't believe we're sitting there three nil up, and you know, I thought Theo did a nice job playing the pass out to him that the just that was classic counter football it was it was fantastic all the goals had great quality I mean James just really quickly I I don't want to dwell on any negatives but were you a little aggravated that Ramsey didn't put his chance away to make it four? I mean there were some other chances um Giroud had had a really good one that he took with his right that he didn't convert Ozil had a mirror image chance to the one he had that he converted that he didn't put away but the Ramsey one in terms of what a goal could have done for him, and the brilliance of that ball over the top, and the proximity to goal with no one in front of him, that that was that was my only one frustrating moment. I I so wanted him to put that away. Did that was did that one stick in your craw at all?
4: Yeah, I mean, I it, it did frustrate me in, in the sense that as you I mean as you well know, I you have such an affinity for Ramsey of course, yeah, um, and I just felt so frustrated for him because it was so representative of the emotions that he's currently feeling in front of the goal. We. You know he he clearly is with regards to his goal scoring the definition of a confidence player and all it takes is that one goal and it was it, it was such a such a good opportunity um, you know the Özil and the Giroud yes you do expect more times than not probably for them to to do a little better but they're not quite as easy a chance as that one um, but that being said I think his all round game was actually very very good um, and you know, his finishing aside, although he had obviously scored the disallowed goal against Liverpool, um, I think the rest of the game and and we talked a lot about uh well certainly Paul and I have about the way in which he compliments the team while being out on the right, even though it's not necessarily his preferred position. Um and I'm I'm convinced um, I'm convinced the goals will certainly come. So it would have been nice for it to be this game given the context and you you have know, given that we were 3-0, given the team was oozing with confidence, he thought, in theory, it would be the best opportunity for him to do so. So let's let's hope, like Sanchez, you know, I mean, we've seen what one goal can do for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I'm confident he will, he will get one sooner, or at least I hope so.
1: Yeah, I hope so, too. I, I mean, he's definitely our best choice, by the way. I mean, you said you and Paul have... I've been down on some things about Ramsey's game and his fit on the right, but there's no one who you'd pick ahead of him. If if Welbeck were fit right now, you'd say maybe, but Oxlade-Chamberlain, as we've discussed, hasn't done enough to really warrant warrant taking that spot. Um, uh, Paul, is is Alexis Sanchez beating people now and scoring just because he's found form and he's got that burst back? I mean, is that no. why he's able to cut on the right now and get past people when he couldn't just two weeks ago?
3: No, I think it's all about the movement. and And basically... When you got Walcott in there and, the, and they're screwing people around, look how quickly that ball moved across there. And look in the FA Cup final, his, his thunder blast. We kind of imagine him in the open space, but he actually had two defenders shuffling over, to, scurrying across to, to try and stop him. I think it was cleverly who was the guy left in his wake. But again, it was a ball that moved across quickly from right to left, and we're just moving the ball around, so yes, like Robin, you know what he's going to do, but the reason Robin's so effective is because his team isn't static, and we had gotten too static at the end of last year. Walcott changes everything um and and the brilliance of Alexis you know b- Alexis is more brilliant than Walcott. Ozil is, but Walcott shuffles the deck for them in terms of movement, and we saw once again there, that's why it doesn't matter that they know he's going to cut in. They're all being moved around. They've all got their eyes in the back of their heads watching other things going on, and it gives him that extra yard.
1: Yeah. Um, the The overall play in the first half was, was electrifying, In the second half we kind of shut it down, played more on the counter, and let them come at us, and I think at times maybe we actually let them come at us a little too much. But one thing that was such a delight to see, and Paul, I'll let you start with this, but but again, let's try to let's try to keep it reasonable. You know, if you can, <laughs> under a half hour, we'll be good here. Um, Theo Walcott was sensational, but it wasn't just the passing and the finishing. At one point, he charged 25 yards back to to tackle and take the ball off. I don't even, it might've been Scheinsteiger or Carrick, I can't remember which one. And start another counter, yeah, and start another counterattack for us. You know, we talk about, well, we can't buy a player in this position because we have this, or we can't buy a player in that position. But the simple fact is competition helps. I mean, Paul, is that the kind of effort and performance from Walcott that shows just what a good player he is and and that he can be a center forward? Or is that a performance from Walcott that as much as anything is about a man saying, I'll be damned if I'm giving this position back to Giroud and, and is fighting for every game now, to prove that that should be his role.
3: Yeah, once again, both. Uh, but it, to be fair to Theo, he's been talking for months without getting his shot, months and months, about him how important pressing was. Um, and he's a very serious fella, and he wants to start for England too in the next coming championships because he's never had a proper championships with the team. And he knows he's got to do more than just run. But I, I mean... You've all heard me banging on about him on Twitter, but what he needed was a goal or two, and he said that himself, it's all about the goals, so that he could settle down and start doing the other things in his game. And nobody's more... You know, he he was always going to be a little bit of a liability defensively on the wing, and people said, move him to striker because then it won't be a liability. But actually that's when his skills become a defensive strength because the one thing he could do but has never done is press. And, I mean, we saw that. But we also saw him hair across the whole front line chasing the ball to where what you love to see, putting the pressure on the keeper and the keeper putting it out to touch. And the crowd is going berserk because they know what they're seeing. They know this is different. They know this is an evolution. This is a guy learning and growing. But feeling confident in his striker game enough that now he's enjoying the defensive side, looking to press. And it's infectious back and forth between the players. But that was one of the things I enjoyed most about that game. How the crowd got behind every press that Theo did and he pressed more and more. Uh, I thought it was a huge moment in terms of his growth, in terms of our game. And, uh, I mean, we saw some nice hold-up play and some nice passing and enabling. He got two si- two assists, for God's sake. Um, so you're seeing he'll never be a complete player. But he's probably 25% of a world-class player that 100% terrifies the opposition. And yeah. if he can do a couple of other really good things, that, that pressing thing is so valuable to our defense He's just got to do that, and, and and but I think you're absolutely right. He's worked out how to lock down the starting position, and it takes more than runs and one goal or assist yep. per game.
1: It takes that effort and that energy, and, and, and he's contributing. I mean, this is a player who was criticized in the past for, yeah, he scores a goal, but he has five touches, and he's not involved in the game, and he made sure that his presence was felt in the game. Um, you know, he also had a lot of a lot of near misses, a lot of near opportunities. There was one offside that was very close where he was in. I think, you know, I think that he, he looks like he could score or create a goal every game he plays now. Um, and I'm sure if you ask defenders, you know, which center forward option from Arsenal, Giroud or Theo, they'd rather be facing regardless of what you think of Giroud. I I think pace like Theo's and running like Theo's drives these defenders nuts, always having to watch over their shoulder. um, James Walcott is our starting striker now. How encouraged are you by what you've seen, by what you saw against United, and and do you now feel that this is his position to have for a long run?
4: I'm very encouraged. I think the aspect of his game that we always thought was going to be there was, you know, quite importantly, was that he would provide goals and assists. The issue you felt was in certain periods of games he would be a little lost i'd questioned given his height given his lack of experience perhaps that his ability to hold up the ball his ability to create space for others his ability to do the other aspects of um, the sense of forward play that perhaps we may attribute to someone like a you or just someone who's more experienced in in playing that role um, that he would you know, would come under scrutiny, and I, 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 wasn't necessarily convinced that he would, he would be able to do it. Um, that being said, I think you know, we had talked about the fact that he was given 140k a week was clearly a sign of confidence from the manager, and I think that was part of the reason why I wasn't as stressed about the whole centre forward issue as some are and still are. And I, again, we can, go, it's kind of going over um, old ground, but. You know, of course, a top top striker would still add to this team, but that aside, I think he clearly the manager had seen something. The manager knew going into the season that that Theo was going to be getting given a large period of time to play centre forward. And fair play to both so far, because I think he has taken he, you know he's taken me by surprise, especially just how quickly um, he seems to have grown in those aspects of the game. The way he was flicking on headers at parts of the game. Um, you know the way he comes, he drops deep, gets the ball to feet, and you know stretches the ball out wide for that Sanchez goal. He did that on numerous occasions. His ability, his willingness to track back, he, he made a a, a a fantastic sliding challenge that led to a a, a quick counter attack in the first half. I mean, he seems to just be growing game by game, and we know all about the runs that he's able to make in behind, how effective he is, how dangerous he is for for um, opposition players. I mean. You know defenders can't can't stay too high up the pitch because he's going to get in behind, but you know when he's on form when he's confident he's able to you know he he's actually extremely good at, at at driving at players with the ball and 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 making things happen and to for him to be able to complement that with um with the other aspects of of the center forward role is very promising to see and in fact, the thing that gives me even more confidence is a I thought the composure for the second goal you know he tends to be. Maybe players and someone like Theo, when they haven't been scoring, um, are a little more desperate to get that goal. But just, you know, he showed that composure. Where often I think he would have tried to take a shot in that situation. He looked up, he found Özil in a better position. I think his finishing is actually going to grow over um, the next few weeks as well because he's he's actually I I think when he's been fit in past seasons, been a consistent best finisher. And I don't and although he's you know the numbers are there, I think he's scored something like 11 goals or so in 13 games, um, or something to that effect, I think his finishing still has room for improvement given what we've seen in the past. And so I think, you know, that combination between him and Sanchez is looking very tasty right now.
1: Yeah. I I, I will say this as great as we played, I think there's a very good chance that we don't win that game or potentially have to sweat it out without Petr Cech and goal. Um, he was tremendous when needed. And while that wasn't constantly, there were some very big moments. And I think going into the half 3-1 up instead of 3-0 up is a very different proposition, especially the way we played the second half where we really sort of sat back and at times sat arguably too far back. Anthony Martial, who I thought had a good game and, and looks like a very good player and one who, you know, I'm sure will be around for a while, so we'll get to see what he turns into. But he, he turned Murta Sakri at a great opportunity and Czech made an incredible save with his leg down low. He handled a few uh, set pieces and crosses really well and then made another save that I thought was excellent, I think, on Marshall later as well. Paul, how important was Check's performance to you today? And do you think there's something to the idea that just by starting Petr Check and, and having that kind of presence in there, it sends the right message to the team and, and makes them feel secure? Because I, I think, look, just really quickly before I throw it over to you, when... You're winning 3-0, and it's coming up to halftime, and a player gets free in the box and turns and scores, and you go into the half 3-1 up, but you're on a little bit of a downer, and the other team has a little bit of life. That changes the tone of the game. But when you turn around and your keeper makes a tremendous save low with his leg coming to close down space that not many keepers would make, and you say, it's our day, we're not going to lose this, you go into the half up 3-0... Those are the moments where games are won and lost, and that's why I think even if a keeper is an incremental improvement, a marginal improvement, keepers are binary. They make the play that saves the game, or they don't make the play and doesn't save the game. Uh, And arguably, they make the error that loses the game. You know, you can make three mistakes in a game as a striker, and it really doesn't mean much. You can atone for it. You can't atone for a mistake as a goalkeeper. So how important was Petr Cech's performance on the day, And, and how important is it to have a player like that to lift the whole rest of the team to feel that they can be victorious on
4: the day.
3: Yeah, I think he was huge uh, and proportionally more huge because he was only needed uh, those few times. But but the funny thing is, even his other touches, um, you know, where he gathers a cross or, you know, there's no real threat on it, but he's the guy, There's he has a way of grabbing it that sends a message to our team and to their team that although it was not much it was a nothing ball look at how solid i gathered this look at how i've calmed this now i'm surveying my field he j- you know there was there was a lot about chesney that i liked um i think he can still grow into a great keeper but he has distribution a, isn't one of them <laughs> yeah but but it's more the chaos thing that you feel is bubbling under the surface and i think that's the last thing you want In a goalkeeper, I mean, uh, uh, Almunia was somebody who had a lot of ability and talent, but he inspired a certain feeling in the crowd, probably in his own team, and certainly in the opposition. And goalkeepers bring a certain aura to them. Now, you can't bring that aura unless you de- do what uh Check did in the 44th or 45th minute there where he had his leg right where you want Peter Check to have his leg and make that save. And he he made a couple of other saves throughout the game which th- that was probably the key moment. Uh there was another one where he came rushing out. I think it might have been on Rooney. Um to to block it and got out. Yeah, quick. there there was
1: a dummy there was a dummy and then a flick and and it yeah. put I think maybe Rooney in, it may have been Martial and yeah. there was another another save he made on Martial when when he he kind of got past Sacker again, but he was always where he needed to be his position. Yeah. Was it felt like there
3: were three really important saves. And a bunch of others. But let me make one other point, which is set pieces. That was, going into this game, that was what scared me about United probably the most, and what scared me about Arsenal the most. And we started Czech, and defensively we were focused, and defensively we got our shit together on set pieces, which has been a massive Achilles heel. It's funny though. There have been games where we've looked really solid and games where we're just fucking atrocious. And this this game, we were never going to concede from a corner or anything like it. Just didn't feel we were remotely going to do that. We had our heads fucking screwed on. We had check-in goal, and he was imperious.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, to me, it. I, I don't want to talk about midweek because we've covered it, and this this deserves a podcast focused on the joy and success and brilliance of this performance. I, I think the only reference reference really is again, that you see why we bought check and, and what he can do for a game and, and maybe the missed opportunity, obviously from midweek, but we've covered it. So we don't need to go over it again. Um, James, the, the, Reality is that our two most expensive players are Mesut Ozel and Alexis Sanchez. And, and we've, we've said this before, we're only going to go as far as they take us to some extent because they are the most talented players on the team. How great is it? We, we've seen Sanchez step up. How great is it, and great was it, to see Mesut Ozil dominate a game, a big game, and not just dominate it with cute, clever passes, but physicality, touches, goals. How important is it for Ozel and for Arsenal, for him to have one big game now under his belt, where you can say he dominated this game, is a big part of why we won it.
4: Huge, enormous, potentially pivotal. And in fact, I actually think one of the issues with Alexis, although he always pulled in big performances, and I, you know, perhaps a lot of it came down to the way in which at, we played as a team. Against, they weren't offered in big games. He didn't, you know. He, I don't think he scored in a in a big game. You know,
1: uh, I mean the FA Cup final, if you want to count that as a, sure. You know, I mean, it wasn't a big opponent, but it wasn't right. Game.
4: If we if we if we just classify it down to you know big top four opponents or um or you know top opponents in Europe, I I don't recall. I guess you can maybe classify Dortmund, but even they were a team struggling in their league. Um, not that his performance as such was, you know, he. I mean, in the same way that Urzel I think, when...
1: No, I, I get what you mean, but they, they turned up in a big way in this game. And they both Nozell turned up in particular. this game,
4: which I think was, you know, I, it was huge, it was it was phenomenal to see. I mean, Urzel was absolutely excellent. And, of course, we talk about the confidence for Ramsey to get a goal, and I think that was one of the best things coming at, looking back at this game now, was for, for Ozil to have finally netted one. Arsenal's talked a lot about it, you know, incessantly, so... About you know we know the qualities of Özil as a number ten, but if he's going to be playing that role, well, when he is playing that role, but as part of that role, he needs to add goals to his game, and to do so in a big game will just do wonders for him, I think. And um, and that you know that was really just I mean it, you know there were, there's a vine going around of you know him muscling off um yeah and that touch where he pulls pulls it down and you know you know what I love
1: about that James not not I'm not to interrupt you any more than I already am but it's not you you nailed it the touch we've seen touches like that from Ozil time and time again it's the fact that he's using his body to physically shoulder someone out of the way and hold them off before he does it that that's different
4: yeah agreed I mean it's it's part of the sort of adaptation phase I suppose maybe it's I don't even know if it's taken you know it has taken him longer than some players in some regards, that being said, even from day one he's always had he's always had moments in games where he's been excellent. I think the physicality of the league probably surprised him. I think Robert Perez talks about it a lot of just you know the shock he got when he first arrived in the Premier League um and for a player like Ozil, who's so silky um who a lot of his ability is down to the way in which he creates space for himself, the way he spots a pass, his precision. You know, some of that can be removed if you don't have the physical capabilities of staying up in the league. And, um, and even, you know, a player like David Silver, you know, Santi Cazorla, we've seen, he, you don't necessarily have to be the strongest. It's, a lot of it can be about balance, etc. And I think, it, you know, it's finding that equilibrium for us. And he looks, we, we spoke a lot last season about him looking stronger, um, especially in that second half of the season, he looked a much improved player. Um, he's also getting used to now being bigger. You know, he's—it's it, one thing getting bigger, but it's—it's it's another getting the experience of being bigger and being able to, you know, build your confidence that you can take on um, opposing players in those types of physical duels and and the way in which you use your body to um, to control the ball in those types of situations and and then move on to the skills that you uh, he knows so well and. Um, and to then, you know, attack teams um, in that regard. So I, I, I think, I think it's excellent to see the concerted effort that he seems to have made in, um, in parts of his game. And um, I still do fear that maybe uh, we do see when the team doesn't bring in a performance like that, you're not going to see from Erzul necessarily. He, he's not that individual player who can, who can bring. That single brilliance out of a team that that's lackluster. That's more your your Alexis maybe to a lesser degree, uh, a Theo. But what he does do is he you know he makes everyone around him play a lot lot better. And when he's on that kind of form, he's very very difficult to stop.
1: You know what's nice? After most games, we'd be pointing to that one vine and saying, "See, look how good Mesut is." But you don't have to point to one seven second vine to to demonstrate how great he is. Um, after a performance like that. Real quick, Paul, because I want to move on from the match, actually, and just get to a couple other things before we wrap up. Any worry at all about the second half that we we sank too deep into a shell? I mean, there were times when I started to get a little nervous. They did start to create some chances. We played on the counter, and to be fair, we created chances of our own. We had Giroud had a chance. ozel had a chance. Um, I think those were the, the two biggest that that come to mind. But any worry at all that that we maybe... I I tweeted at the time, there's a fine line between playing on the counter and just sitting back and getting battered. Um, Did did you start to feel that the balance got a little off and and that we gave them too much of the ball, or you think we were always in control?
3: Um, Well, we weren't always in control, but I was still pretty happy about it. I mean, you don't play in a vacuum. They'd sent on, uh, you know, the sinister Ronald McDonald's alter ego, and he was running around with that <laughs> He stupid. was useless, yeah. But but where he was useful was... He he was the reason I think we ended up playing deeper because he was pretty physical. I mean, Per talked about it, uh, how difficult it is to manage banging up against that guy. He was going around kicking people. I mean, it's kind of like a boxing match where you're getting body punches. Eventually, it has an impact... But when you think how impactful Fellaini has been in many games, maybe not recently because they kind of switched tacks, but if you look at last season, he was the Plan B that stole them a goal or two that they never deserved in the last fifteen or twenty minutes. He'd be, you know, he'd be waiting basically far post or against your smallest uh, fullback, and I was really pleased that uh, arson or uh, arson called out. Um, Bellerin for his winning his headers um, during the game because it really, it, 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 you know, really stood out that Bellerin over the last couple of games and in that game in particular is up leaping around like a, a salmon, women he- winning headers like Alexis d- does down the other end. So I think uh, f- the one main thing Fellaini did was he pushed us back um, and you're never not going to have an impact from them it's just what what will Manchester United sacrifice which turned out to be plenty and we had our chances going the other way so definitely put Mm a a wrinkle into our defending and had an impact but I think it was a reasonable trade-off and it's just the Fellaini factor
1: the reality is we kept a clean sheet we scored three goals we beat a Uh, The top team in the league at the time, a big opponent. It was everything we needed, especially coming off midweek and especially going into an an interlow, an international break, because it's two weeks to laugh at everybody else and celebrate ourselves, which is all you can possibly ask for when you can go two weeks without football. It's also a chance for Sanchez to get healthy because it looks like maybe he picked up a little groin injury. Um, so that's good. I thought it was interesting that after the match, the manager said, now we just cross our fingers and pray that no one gets injured because we're a small group at the moment. And for all the bragging we do about the size of our squad and all the depth and we have two 11s at the moment, it doesn't look that way at the moment. It looks like that 11 that was on the pitch. Obviously kashelni aside is the 11 we need on the pitch to, to compete. I, you know, it just feels that way. So again, fingers crossed that we don't pick up injuries, but we got, we got to get to two other things just really quickly. Th- three, two and a half things. Um, James, we we have to talk about our our chance to win the league now. I you know I I mean I know it's early, but we're right there. We're we're, we're in second. We just beat the team that was top. City is, you know, now on top. Um, they look a little fearsome. They're going to go as far as Aguero takes them, probably. But where does this leave you feeling our league title possibilities lie? And and to what extent do you think that's linked to? this the issue of the squad maybe being a little smaller than we thought it might be
4: well i mean one thing let's you know i i, I say after tough defeats uh, or you know recent uh, drab performances um that let's not overhype the short term ramifications that it has for this side um in the same way i think as you know, it's a fantastic performance. I think the team's going to take a lot of confidence going forward from this, especially beating United. They were, t- you know, they were prospectively going to go top of the league if they'd beaten us. Um, so it's it's a big win. We we rarely have we seen over the last few years a win of that type of magnitude and um, against that type of opposition in the league. Um, so it's huge. I think it's a big mental boost. I think it it might begin to claw back the kind of confidence and maybe you know in some ways undeserved yet confidence of the that the team had going in some of the complacency i think we might have seen in the west ham game i think that's i think that's massive for the side um i don't know how much it necessarily alters my personal view i, I think it's been clear that i'm I, I think we can challenge for this title pretty much all the way this year i i don't i don't think we're favorites i think um city are certainly the favorites this year but it's a very interesting league. It's a, um, it you know we're not we haven't quite got the sides of the the Barca's, the Madrids, and the Bayerns, um, or a, you know a, a one-off you know, United 99 or an invincible team in the league. But it's so deep. I mean, when Stoke, who are you know, a 15th, have a player like Shaqiri and a Bojan, and I'm not saying the makeup of their entire team is phenomenal, but you know you've got there's just a lot of like weird things happening in in this Premier League, there's a lot of strange teams. You, you look at any fixture now, and you think, you know what, you know, anyone can really drop points in any given game, and it's um, so it's going to be a tough one to call. It's I, th- I think it is a, it's an exciting one. I, <laughs> I I I you know I'm not trying to constantly go on about this, but. I, I, there, there are reasons why I've been saying that you know don't, don't well do bet fifty dollars on us coming out of the top four because I'll happily take that money. But um, there's, you know there, there's there's a lot of reasons still to be to be confident. I you know I'm not sure if we necessarily have quite the quality to match City over the season, especially if Sergio Aguero stays fit.
1: At this point, James and I engage in a cantankerous argument, including ad hominem attacks and threats of physical violence. The focus of the argument is the question of squad depth and whether we have adequate depth within the squad to challenge for the title. However, because this argument was based mainly on point scoring and efforts to bring up old topics of discussion that still hadn't been resolved, we decided it wasn't worthy of inclusion in the podcast, and we've cut it out. We will now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast, and in the meantime, please enjoy Girl from Ipanema. Paul, for you, the the season now, it is about the domestic campaign. I think Champions League, we're clinging to the cliff. Maybe the best thing would be to finish last in the group and really have a go at the league. What kind of odds do you give us um, in the league based on where we stand right now and, and based on what we have to come?
3: Um, I feel very good about the league. I agree with you entirely that it comes down to fitness. I I wouldn't describe our squad the way you do, but um, we'll we'll keep this the short version. (laughs) So, but I do think, uh, I feel really good about the season. I think we're building, I think we're getting stronger. I think what, I'm sure some people are thinking they're afraid to trust what they saw uh, yesterday, but I think they need to trust it. I think, I've made the point in pretty much every game we've played, there have been patches where our play has been really good, and you, what we've got to do is fix the shit. We're not wh- When people have described us as average, and even Arson has called it an average start, it's not because all play has been average. It's because play has been really good and really bad in every game, apart from, I would say, West Ham. You will find patches of really good and really bad play. And once we start fixing our problems and we've seen certain games where we have done that uh i can see no reason why we can't have a solid defense with the three center backs we have any two of them starting we're in business with our four full backs any two uh, appropriate full backs we will be fine once they get a run of games so it's down to a few players now that need to stay healthy and i really think it it's if we can stay healthy we will get consistent we'll get stronger i think we can win this fucking thing
1: yeah i mean it, it, it you can't discuss whether we can win the league without discussing whether you think there's a really really good team we're competing against and i'm not convinced there is except maybe city and as we've discussed a lot of that is down to aguero staying fit i'm i'm feeling fantastic about the domestic campaign i just really wish We hadn't done what we did in Europe. But anyway, um, so let's finish with this, James. This is an easy one. Well, it's not necessarily an easy one, but, you know, it's one that you can just give me a quick feeling on. Which put a bigger smile on your face, the Mourinho meltdown or Rogers getting sacked?
4: Oh, the Mourinho meltdown, no doubt. Yeah, I think that's an easy one, right?
1: I mean, putting aside for a second that the Rogers thing, because it could also turn out bad if they get a better manager than they had, but do you see Chelsea turning this around at all? Or do you think this just gets worse and worse and worse and ends in Mourinho being gone before the season's over?
4: Um, I mean, I definitely see Chelsea turning it around and like rectifying their season somewhat at certain point. I just, I don't know whether I see Mourinho rectify. I mean, I, it, it doesn't look like it can really get too much worse aside from, you know, to the point where he has to be given the boot. I, there seems to be a lot of internal issues going on there. And, you know, it's, I mean, it is exemplary of the type of man- the type of manager he is, the way in which he grinds out results, and the way in which he does clearly, you know, exceed in in the results based business that football is. It it seems to have a fairly short term, um, you know, a-, a-, a short lifespan. So I've- I I don't know if players become bored of playing that type of system or the type of character he is. Just you know, great. Squads uh, over time, but it seems to be a fairly consistent sort of third season syndrome that mm-hmm. seems to be referred to <laughs> with Jose. Um, and you know, some people seem to complain about the staleness and the uh, you know boredom of Arsenal, and then you you flip that over and you you get the almost too much drama when it comes to Jose. So you know, every, it comes back to the point of uh, every manager has has their issues, and I I don't know. I mean, Chelsea have so much money; they they, they still have a very quality team. Um, it's just not playing as a team at the moment. And um, you'd like to think that there seems to be pretty much out the title race. Uh, unless, you know, everyone else around, you know, challenging the title completely starts to balls it up. There's no way they're getting back into it. So I
1: don't I think, think they'll, they'll finish in the that. top four.
4: I mean, it, it's certainly not, not, not unbelievable at this stage. I mean, they, look I mean, like they, they just don't mess. look like they
1: care at all. If they keep Mourinho, I think it gets worse. These guys look like they just can't fucking stand him. I'm, Paul, final thought. How much are you loving what's going on at, at Chelsea and Liverpool? I mean, it's, it's rare that we get to enjoy that coming off a huge win too. So which part did you enjoy more? Uh,
3: anything, uh, I, uh, I had a go at creating an, equa- an equation on Twitter, which I think I got slightly wrong. But my, my joy in life is proportional to the square of Jose Mourinho's misery. So yeah. uh, I, I just don't want any... To, you know, the thing I didn't like about the Brendan thing was it took heat away from Van Gogh out and roasted on a spit from yeah. Jose's agony. Um, you know, can, can't we, like, stage these things, spread them out? Why did all three w- have to happen at the same time? It's just a
1: testament to what a joke Liverpool are right now. If you're Liverpool and Manchester United just got beat 3-0... You don't announce major news when that happens. You at least let that dominate the headlines for a day or two. I don't don't get it. Um, You feel okay leaving it there?
3: Yeah. You know, I I just want us to all slow it down so we can make the Jose thing last as long as possible. I really hope the uh, Ava Carnera thing is at the heart of why this is all falling apart. Yeah. Um. That would just seem. That would give it some real substance, some real heft beyond just petty bitchy rivalness, uh, rivalries, and it might also mean it has some legs. That you know, the thing about Abramovich's um, girlfriend, uh, or s- basically his wife, if you like, uh, having a real issue with Jose, um, and the idea that. That he came back to a manager who sacked him, and and all that stuff in the press talking about about how, you know, the cl- the players deserve not to have another manager sacked. After all the managers that have been sacked over the last decade, they deserve something different. So I'm like, go on, just poke Abramovich in the eye one more time, Jose. See what you get. So, I I hope this is a slow burner. I hope it gets no better. And I hope that manager gets what he deserves one more time.
1: Amen. Perfect sentiment to leave it on. Shadenfreude. Um as always, you can find these two wonderful gentlemen on Twitter, and I suggest you do so. Paul is at PosnanInMyPants in my pants on Twitter. Paul, thanks again. Woohoo! Yeah, that's awesome. And James can be found on Twitter, and I strongly recommend you follow him for fantastic insight. Uh, and you can find him there at Fanatic forty nine. James, thanks as well. Cheers, lads. You know what we may do? Maybe we'll do an impromptu pod over the international break where we bring up all the arguments we have on WhatsApp where we want to kill each other. But for the meantime, we will just keep those simmering in private. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I strongly recommend you do that as well. And if you could, please leave us a review on the podcast at iTunes or wherever you find this fine uh, and growing podcast and we appreciate your support and your help. Uh, in the meantime you have two weeks to relax, enjoy the headlines they should all be pretty arsenal positive, injuries aside fingers crossed. In the meantime I will go back to being a husband, a father, a lover um, and I wish you uh, a great two weeks of whatever it is you're about. Until then cheers, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks.